Hello, this is Donnie Foster, the pastor of the Journey Church in Fort Worth, Texas. My prayer is the message you are about to hear will be a source of blessing and encouragement in your life. At the conclusion, I'll share a few closing words and a prayer. May the Lord bless you as you listen. Well, if you got your Bibles, join me in the book of Genesis this morning. We've been talking about embracing life. And today we're going to just continue that. And to remind you from last week, we gave a definition of what it means to embrace. It just simply, as we bring that uh, slide up, means to take hold, to believe, and to include. That's what, it ta- that's what embracing life is all about. Taking hold of life, believing in life, including the things that God has for us. And today we're going to specifically talk about embracing the impossible. Embracing the impossible. And to do so, our key characters are going to be... Abraham and Sarah. And I love talking about Abraham and Sarah because they are the original OG power couple of the Bible. They really are. They are a power couple. I say that because God even changed their names. They were Abram and Sarai, and God changed them to Abraham and Sarah. Thus, I've given them a celebrity couple name. Don't you love celebrity couple names? I like to call Abraham and Sarah Abrahara, all right? So Abrahara is their official celebrity power couple name this morning. Well, anyway, let me tell you a little bit about Abrahara here, this power couple of the Bible. God promises them early on they're going to be the matriarch and the patriarch of an entire nation that God is going to use to reveal himself to the world. And in fact, when they are 86 and 76, that's when God makes the promise. Now, get that in your heads. At the age of 86 and 76, God comes along and says, guess what? You're going to give birth to a nation, all right? When science, biology, and quite frankly, common sense tell us, you know what? Your birth and baby days are probably behind you. But that's where the impossible aspect of this story comes into play. But if you know the story, instead of trusting God to provide this miracle, they kind of take their own route. Uh, Sarah asks one of her servants to step in for her and give a child to Abraham. She does. The baby's name is Ishmael. That child becomes the father of the Arab race. But God says, guess what? That's not the plan. That's not what I told you. He says, indeed, you're going to have a child yourself. At one point... Abraham, when hearing God say this, just laughs. He falls on his face and laughs when told the plan. So does Sarah. She laughs about it. But if you know the story, when they're 190, about 14 years later, after they made this promise, they finally have a child. His name is Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, and the rest is history. All right? But I love talking about this couple. In fact, We know more about Abraham and Sarah than any other couple in the Bible. Twelve chapters in Genesis are dedicated to their life and to their marriage and to their immediate family. Pretty impressive. More than any other couple in the Bible. We know way more about them than even we do Mary and Joseph or David and Bathsheba or any other couple. Adam and Eve, in fact. Abraham and Sarah, we know more about them than anybody else in the entire Bible when it comes to a couple. So it makes sense that when we want to talk about power couples, we talk about them. So here's the big fact this morning. The big fact is this. God called them, Abraham and Sarah, to embrace the impossible. 
We want you to begin a family in your twilight years. In fact, this family is going to be the birth of an entire nation. Now, if you're like me, it would have made a lot more sense for God to choose a young couple in their 20s. Okay? That just makes sense. I mean, if you don't know the story, and God's like, I'm going to start a nation, you start looking out across, you know, the fields of the world, Abraham and Sarah are at the bottom of the list. I mean, they're older, they're, they don't have any kids, and, and here are all these young, virile couples, and, and you're like, hey, yeah, that's who God's going to choose, but he doesn't. But it also makes sense that God might choose some powerful ruler that had some great wealth and great resources, but he didn't. He chose Abraham, who was, you know, a, a good guy and had a little bit of, uh, of, uh, of resources in his flocks, but he's not a power guy for sure. But it also makes sense that God would just go about this task by any other fashion than he decides to. It just doesn't make sense that God would choose Abraham and Sarah. But here's the key theme to today's message. Impossible is what our God does. Impossible is what our God does. So the big, that's the big fact that God called them to embrace the impossible. But the big question is, did they do it? Did they embrace the impossible? The answer is absolutely not. They did not do it. In fact, they laughed at it. Actually, they laughed at God. Now, before we get too down on them about that, I think laughing when someone says at 90 and 100 you're going to have a baby, I think that's an appropriate time to just break down and laugh. Amen? I mean, just walk. Get, get, you know, I don't know if you've ever been you know, over to the nursing home you know, or to a retirement home. Just walk through there one day and start prophesying some of these couples are going to have babies. You're going to get a lot of laughter or, or fruit thrown at you, one of the two, all right? That's just not something you hear every day. And so they didn't embrace it. They laughed at it. They're like, <laughs> okay, whatever, God. And so here's what happens, all right? I want, you, I want to read these stories to you of where they laugh. Look at Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 17, or follow on the screen. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. So God changes her name. In verse 16, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come to her. And what does Abraham do? He fell on his face and laughed. And said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100, year old, 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He falls on his face and laughs. Sarah does the same thing. I love this exchange. Look over in Genesis 18 or follow along on the screen. Here's the situation. God shows up in, in, the, in a physical form known to us as a theophany, a physical presentation of Jesus in the Old Testament. Two angels are there along with him, and they show up to have a conversation with um, Abraham outside of his tent. All the while, uh, Sarah's inside listening at the door, okay? And by the way, if Jesus shows up talking to somebody, I'm listening at the door as well, amen? So she's listening, but they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah, who is listening at the door, all right, behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. You know, we got that. So what happens? Sarah laughs to herself and says, 
after I am worn out and my Lord, my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? You know what she's saying? I don't even enjoy the uh, process of trying to make babies anymore, all right? I, 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 you know, what's going on here? And the Lord said to Abraham, y'all didn't know the Bible had such, uh, such hot scenes, did you, all right? <clears throat> Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes, all right? He's outside the tent. Sarah's inside. Here's Jesus. Jesus is talking to him. Sarah on the inside says to herself, you know, laughing, and then God's like confronting Abraham about it. Abraham's like, I'm out here with you. I don't know what she's doing. But he says, you know, did Sarah, your wife, laugh and say, I shall not bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. Again, she's still inside the tent. Here's the conversation. What does she say? I did not laugh, all right, for she was afraid. <laughs> but what did God say? No, you did laugh, okay? So God, your wife is going to have a baby at age 90. Wife, um, wife laughing to herself. Yeah, right. God, you're, did your wife just laugh at me from inside the tent? Wife, I didn't laugh. God, oh, you laughed. All right, yes, you definitely laughed. Now, I don't believe Abraham and Sarah were so much laughing at God as they were laughing at how impossible the situation seems. Again, I think anybody in that situation, if you walk up to him, you're going to have a baby and start a whole nation. They're just like, that's a good one, man. That's really, really funny, even if it's God. It just doesn't seem, it doesn't even appear to seem that God was too upset with them. I mean, he's telling them, yes, I'm going to do it. In fact, I kind of think he embraced this whole laughter thing. Because look at Genesis chapter 21, all right? When Sarah finally has the baby, I think this is God showing his sense of humor, okay? It says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he promised, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Now the name Isaac is Hebrew for laughter. They named their son laughter. Think about the irony there. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, literally. Everyone who hears will laugh over me like, you, you had a kid? Seriously, this is yours? And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. When it all comes about, everyone got such a Great kick out of how God brought this about. They just went ahead and named the kid Laughter. Can you imagine Isaac later on saying, Mom, of all the names you could have chosen, Dad, why did you call me Laughter? And I can hear them trying to explain, Well, son, you know, God said we were going to have a child, but we were old. And they're like, he would have been like, But it's God. God can do anything. I mean, why didn't you believe? And I can just hear them saying something like, one day, son, you're going to understand. You'll get it. You'll understand. Maybe not now, but one day you're going to know why we laughed. And so I just love this situation. So here's what we could do. We could kind of just wrap things up right here and say, well, all's well that ends well. But we're here to learn from this couple today about embracing the impossible. 
And as much as we might give, uh, much grief as we might give them over laughing at God, and then even arguing with God in person, I mean, Sarah kind of has an argument with Jesus, all right, through the tent, but she has an argument, all right. They still continued to give things a try and keep on going until they finally had a baby. So Abraham and Sarah, as we said, they become the parents of the Jewish nation, but They both struggled with embracing the impossible in some regards. So here's what I want to do today. Let's examine those aspects very quickly and let's learn from them. Go all the way back to the beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 12. I kind of of told you the whole story of Abraham and Sarah, but let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 12. Our first introduction to Abraham is God telling Abraham to uproot his life, move to a new land. He says, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be where your family is going to dwell, you're going to have a family, and you're going to start this whole nation that's going to be in this land that's now known to us as the the land of Israel. That nation is the Jewish race. But this time, Abraham is just a guy with a wife who's aging, and he really has no prospects. So the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now get what God says next. God doesn't say this to very many people throughout history. But he said, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And anyone who dishonors you, I'm going to curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is literally God saying to Abraham, I'm giving you a spiritual force field. You can do whatever you want, interact with anybody you want. As long as people bless you, they'll be blessed. If they even think to dishonor you, I'm going to curse them. It's a spiritual force field. I mean, if I'm Abraham, I'm taking up bungee jumping, amen? I'm going back to skateboarding, amen, with Adrian over there, all right? You know, just picking on you a little bit, all right, this morning. But I'm going to do some risky things. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. God said, no matter what, you're good. I got this. So what does Abraham do? The very first time he has a chance to put God to the test, look at what happens, all right? Look down at verse 10 of chapter 12. They had already moved to this new land, but a famine sets in. It says, now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn or, or live there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, get this. Now remember, God's already promised him, everything's going to be cool, your marriage is going to be cool, you're going to have a baby, you're going to be a whole nation, it's going to be awesome. As they're about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egypt, and at, right there you're like, oh, how sweet. Well, hang on, all right, it gets worse. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. In other words, Abraham's like, I'm worried I'm going to die because you're so pretty, they're going to kill me and take you away from me. So here's the plan. Just say that you are my sister, that it may go well with who? Me. Not so romantic anymore, is it? because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Again, I'm going to wonder why God chose Abraham at all, right? I mean, his plan was to sacrifice his wife to save himself. Come on, man, right? And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. 
and for her sake he, de- he dwelt well with Abraham. And he had sheep and oxen. In other words, uh, Pharaoh's like, I love your sister so much, I'm just going to give you all this stuff. And Abraham just plays along. He's like, hey, this is great. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to me? It's kind of sad that the guy who didn't know God had more integrity, right? Why did you not tell me this was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her. Just get out of here, all right? So the first time Abraham has the chance to play the, hey, uh, the hand of God is upon me. You are not going to touch me card. What does he do? He convinces his wife to go along with this crazy, crazy scheme. In the end, it kind of works out. They get back together, and you would think that Abraham learned his lesson, except just one problem. Abraham does the exact same thing again. Chapter 20, I'm going to paraphrase this, but there's this situation where uh, another powerful man comes into town, and Sure enough, as they're traveling through, Abraham's nervous, and he says, hey, remember that thing we did in Egypt? Let's do that again. Now, again, God protected them and warned them, and and, and Pharaoh showed more integrity. You think we've learned his lesson, but does the exact same thing again. But this time, God comes to this man, Abimelech, in a dream and says, the woman that you're with, she's married, and if you don't get her out of your house, I'm going to kill you. And so he goes to Abraham. He's like, why did you tell me that she was your sister, yada, 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 goes to this whole thing. And look at verse 13, all right? Here's Abraham's excuse. He says, and when God calls me to wander from my father's house, way back in chapter 12, when God told me to leave, I said to her, I said to Sarah, hey, this is the plan I've got. Now, remember, God's already said, I'm going to protect you no matter what. But immediately, they cook up their own plan, their own way of dealing with this. And he said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Boy, not so romantic anymore, all right? By the way, everywhere we go somewhere, don't tell anybody you're my wife, okay? Just tell them you're you're, you're my sister. Tell them I'm your brother. Let's just completely disregard God. Twice uh, Abraham does this. And what we learn here is from from the very beginning, Um, God told Abraham he and Sarah would have a child and they would be the beginning of a nation. Yet we learn also from the very beginning, Abraham and Sarah had cooked up their own plan. But it didn't stop here. This seems to, this, this scheming here was mostly Abraham, but you know what? Sarah was pretty good at it too. Go over to chapter 16 and look at this. Remember we said earlier that when she was old and God said you're going to have a baby, her first plan was to say, you know what, Mm-mm, I'm not doing that. I'll just give you one of my servants as a wife. Chapter 16, verse 1, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abraham, or Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. And, and so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, or her husband, as a wife. This time, it's Sarah's time to come up with an idea that circumvents God's plan. And Abraham just goes right along with it. And of course, 
this goes over about as well as the other attempts to work out God's plan on their own. Now, I know I've given you a lot of information this morning, all right? But Abraham and Sarah, original power couple in the Bible, we know more about them than anybody else. And by the way, don't you think it was about kind of TMI, amen? Right? I'm like, God, why did you tell us all this? Maybe you've heard about Sarah and Abraham all your life. And you're like, I didn't realize all this weird stuff was going on. That was one weird couple. Why did God even choose them? Uh, next time you ask that question, go home and look in the mirror, amen? amen. All right, because we're all weird. We're all different. There, there's nobody worthy of starting the nation that would bring about the Messiah. No one, no one checks off all the boxes. And as jacked up and messed up as Sarah and Abraham were, that's who God chose, and that gives me hope this morning, right? So here's the deal this morning. Just one point this morning. Now, all that's the introduction. If you missed everything else, get this one point today. When God calls us to do the impossible or to believe in the impossible, or to embrace being involved in something that we could label as impossible for us to do on our own. There's just one truth that we need to remember this morning. That's this. Embracing the impossible means trusting God to do what only he can do. Embracing the impossible means trusting God to do what only he can do. And that's exactly what he wanted Abraham and Sarah to do. Now, he didn't want Abraham and Sarah to sit around and do nothing. He doesn't want us to sit around and do nothing. In fact, I really love what God wanted Sarah and Abraham to do, all right? And if you get your brains working a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. God actually wanted Abraham and Sarah to just have lots of marital relations. Can I get an amen for the married couples, all right? All right. Hey, I, I thought of all kinds of things I could say right here, but they all sounded like double entendres and euphemisms, so I'm just not going to say them, all right? But I really like the fact that God said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Just have lots of marital relations. Woohoo! Amen. I like that. But they even messed that up. Point is this. Our role in God's... By the way, y'all need to wake up this morning, all right? <laughs> I need to wake up. Come on. I mean, that's good stuff right there in God's word. Amen. That's awesome. God's like, go have sex and have lots of it. Woohoo! All right. Yeah, I said it. That's what God said. And they still messed it up. What was that? Amen. Amen. Right. It's, it's awesome. God's planted. He's ordained it. It's good. Here we go. But here's the point. Our row in God's plan is always going to be obvious. It's always going to be obvious. It's going to require some commitment and dedication. But what he wants us to do is obvious. But when we come to a task that we cannot control or navigate, don't scheme, just believe. Don't scheme, just believe. God allows us to be involved, but he never wants us to take shortcuts or accomplish things the wrong way. That's what Abraham and Sarah did. They were like, this is a ridiculous plan, God. There's no way that's going to work. You obviously need our help. And every time they tried to work it out, it just didn't work until finally God said, just stop, all right? Let me work this out. Guys, there have been times in my life, many times, when I felt the urge, felt the need to do something that would require me to take on the role of trying to accomplish the impossible. I knew the task was impossible. I knew I needed to trust God, but literally, I tried to do it myself. 
And on those few occasions when I've tried, I can tell you on every single situation, I failed miserably. And that's when I learned. I learned, and what I think many of us believe this morning, is that in reality, God has called all of his children to embrace impossible plans. He's called all of us to do that. Some more intricate than others, certainly. But the amazing thing is this, is that no matter how impossible the task, no matter how grand or how small the task may seem with God, they will always come to pass. Because impossible is what our God does. Impossible is what our God does. God calls us to do things at times that we know we can't accomplish. And sometimes we try to take things in our own hands and figure it out. And what God wants us to do is, hey, it's obvious what I need you to do. When you can't figure it out, just stop and just trust. I got this. It's kind of like this. How many of you guys have ever been on a zip line? Let's see how many hands have ever been on a zip line. How many of you wouldn't get on a zip line for a million dollars? Let me see your hand, all right? A few of you. How many of you ever been on the zip line at Minnetonka Christian Camp? Let me see you right here, all right? Greatest zip line in the world. Really, it's not. But I love the zip line at Minnetonka Christian Camp. And I, this whole scenario we're talking about this morning is kind of like a zip line. You see, in, in the summer coming up, we talked about our auction a while ago. We're going to take, uh, we have teen camp and we have kids camp. Teen camp, we take our teenagers, obviously, middle school, high schoolers. But kids camp, we take our older elementary students. And it's so much fun. The elementary students at kids camp, man, I love them. They're awesome. But there are three kinds of kids that decide to ride the zip line. Now, there obviously that group of kids is like, I'm not even going anywhere near it. I don't want to be talked into it, coaxed into it, forced into it. I'm not even going up the hill. I ain't doing it. But those kids that do, there's three types, all right? There is that kid who will get up there, harness on, strap in, and I mean, they just jump off with just reckless abandonment, right? When they're just screaming and yelling, they're hanging upside down, woo! They just love the zip line. Never been on it, don't care, completely trust that thing, and there they go. I like those kids. I'm that kid. Anybody else that kid? All right. I love that kid. But then on the other side, there is that kid who wants to go. They're harnessed up. They've climbed to the top of the ladder, but I'm telling you, they're not jumping off. They're grabbing everything they can, and they're holding on, white-knuckling rails. They're holding on to you. I mean, they just won't let go, and I've been up there so many times. I'm like, hey, if you want go, won't go, then you just need to climb back down and leave. No, 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 I want to go. Well, then go. I can't. Just jump. No, let go. I'm not going to. Then leave. No, I want to go. And it's just back and forth. And 27 minutes later and lots of counseling sessions up there on top of that tower and people cheering. What do they do? They finally fall off and their life has changed forever. Amen, right? But oh, man, took a lot to get there. But then there's this third group in the middle. And that third group of kids, they get up there and they're not ready to dive off. They're not really holding on. But they just need a little push. And they always turn around and say something like, <clears throat> will you push me? And I always have to say, I, you know, I'm not really allowed to push you off the tower. You know, well, please push me. I, I'm not going to go if you don't push me. And, and, and I'll say something, you know, like, you know, I can't do it. Why can't you push me? Well, if you 
fall and, and get hurt, then I'd be responsible. You mean there's a chance I can fall and get hurt? No. Well, then push me. I can't, you know, and you just, and, and then you're just kind of like, is anybody looking? Boom, here we go, all right? Bam, there they go. True story. It's a young lady, she's been to our church many, many times. Her name is Ashley Daumert. Her name is Ashley Milburn at the time. She's about eight, nine years old. She was that kid. We took her to camp, and she looks back at me, and she's like, Donnie, you're going to have to push me. And I'm like, Ashley, I'm not supposed to push you. He's like, I want to go, but I'm not going unless you push me. And so I just did the whole bam, and bam, there she goes. Changed her life forever. Let me tell you today, she's no longer that young lady that needs a push. She's that lady who just dives off and trusts the Lord. Her and her husband, Austin, they are the student pastors down at Faith Baptist Church in Madisonville, Texas, doing a great job. Love them, but you know what? Sometimes we just need a push. Now listen, no matter who you are in this scenario, whether you're that <laughs> person, when God says embrace the impossible, you're like, yeah, I've just been waiting for you to ask. Or you're the, I want to go, but you're going to have to pry my fingers off. Or you're just the, I need a little push. No matter where you are in the scenario, let's understand a few things this morning, all right? I want you to think about a zip line. Every zip line has a tower, and that tower is strong, and that tower in this story really, really represents God the Father. In fact, our Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are saved. In fact, there's a song about it, but the tower in this scenario represents God the Father. He is our refuge, but you know who represents Jesus Christ, or what represents Jesus Christ? is our harness. You see, there's a rule at camp. Before you climb the tower, you've got to be harnessed up. We don't want anybody up there unless they are fully prepared to jump off the tower. The Bible tells me, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except how? By me. See, Jesus is the harness of life that keeps us intact, that brings us to the Father, that brings us to the tower now, we've talked about God the Father, talked about God the Son, but, oh, but there's this third part of the Trinity, Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. See, God the Holy Spirit is that part of God that when you're all harnessed up, and you're like, woo, yeah, that's hard. I believe this harness, it's safe. You walk up to that tower and you're just, yeah, that's a, that's a strong tower. I like that tower. Holy Spirit comes along and says, you like that tower? Oh, yeah. You like that harness? Mm-hmm. You believe in them? You bet. Then climb the tower. And you're like, do what? Why would I want to climb the tower? I got the harness. I believe the tower. I, I'm, I'm safe. I'm good. Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 no. To truly prove you believe in the Father and trust the Son, oh, you got to climb the tower. Like, okay, Holy Spirit, I'll do it. You climb the tower and you get up to the top and you're like, you know, I proved it. It's, it's strong. It's safe. I'm up here. I'm locked in. And then the Holy Spirit says, now take that harness and you clip onto that line up there. You're like, why in the world would I want to do that? Is there a chance this tower could fall down? No, 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 there's no chance this tower's going to fall down. Well, then why would I want to clip onto that? doesn't make any sense. That's when the Holy Spirit says, you know why you need to clip onto that? Because that's me. And without me, you're never going to experience what the Father calls you to do in life. You're like, wait a minute, I don't get it. What's the big deal about standing up here and this is just kind of symbolic? No, 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 I want you to get out there to the edge, and I want you to you're like, Holy Spirit, that sounds like the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. 
Why in the world, when I am safe right here, I am on the tower, I'm locked, why in the world would I want to jump off? The Holy Spirit says, do you see that line? That's me. If you really want to trust the Father, you'll trust me. You see, I'm anchored to the tower. And when you have on that harness of Christ, you're anchored to me. We're the great three-in-one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And life's not just about the Father. It's not just about the Son. It's about the Spirit within you. And you know what I want you to do? I want you to jump off this tower and fly like Iron Man. Just do it. That's what the Holy Spirit says. And there's times in life when we're like, Woo, let's go. Let's jump off. And there's times when we're like, No. And there's times like, Can you just give me a little push? Wherever you are this morning, I want you to understand something. That life was never meant to be lived and experienced where it's safe. The Holy Spirit will always call us to do what is impossible without God. How ridiculous would it be for us to try to get on the zip line without the tower? Can you imagine trying to shimmy up that tree, you know, like, like some bear? Can you imagine trying to just hold on to that thing with your hands and your feet and work your way across? That would be ridiculous. There's only one way to do it. Trust the Father through the Son, connected to the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit says jump, we say, why? See, that's the only way to experience life. When you jump off this tower, it's going to change you forever. My friends, I don't know where you are this morning, but I feel like there's probably a lot of us that are like those kids that get on that tower. We trust God. We believe in Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit starts <laughs> pushing us and telling us to do those things that we struggle with, we're like, I don't know so much about that. That's what it means to embrace the impossible. Would you do something with me this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to do something for you today. I'm not going to have traditional response time like we normally do. It's just going to be right here, you and I, together this morning. But I want to ask you something. How many of you here today would just be honest with me and say, Pastor, in a minute I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Not right now, but in a minute. And the reason I'm going to ask you to raise your hand is because I want to know who you are and I want to pray for you specifically. Not out loud, but I just want to know who you are so I can pray for you. But how many would say right now that there's a situation in your life that just seems impossible? You feel like it's not that you don't trust God. It's not that you're not saved and, and you don't have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not that you don't believe the Holy Spirit's going to lead you somewhere that you shouldn't go or down the wrong path, but it just seems impossible. You're just not quite sure if you can jump off. How many would say, Pastor, that's me right now. I'm in one of those situations, and it's difficult. Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? By the way, you're not by your hand. Hold them up high so I can see them. Room, their hands all over this auditorium this morning. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, here's how I want to encourage you this morning. Like I said, God the Father is a strong tower. He is our refuge. He is our strength. We are connected to him by the Son, Jesus Christ, who died on, on the cross to pay for our sins, who rose again to prove to us that he is God and he is our Savior. And he has given us eternal life. But the Holy Spirit comes along and indwells us when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us to do the things that 
God is going to equip us to accomplish. See, Abraham and Sarah on their own couldn't accomplish it, but they tried. They tried every avenue they could come up with, and it failed. And finally, they jumped, and God took care of them. I don't know what it is that God's called you to do. I don't know if you're ready to jump, and if you're ready to jump, then woohoo, yeehaw, take off. I'll be, I'm praying God gives you the strength to go on. If you're that person just clinging on for dear life, and you're like, mm-mm, 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 I'm praying that God, through the Holy Spirit, will convince you to let go and take that leap. Or maybe you're that person who just needs that push this morning. Hey, let me be that person and just give you that push to just go, to just trust God. Take it from someone who's been there and tried it every other way. Take it from someone who knows what it's like to jump and trust the Lord. It's so much better to just jump, to just trust. Allow him to take you where only he can take you and accomplish what he's called you to do and what he plans to equip you to do along the way. See, God doesn't equip you while you're on the tower. It's after you jump that he takes care of that. When we step out and trust him, that's when he goes to work. So whatever it is today that God's calling you to do that seems impossible, my prayer is that you'll trust the Lord. Allow him to do what only he can do. Because impossible is what our God does. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed, say that with me. Impossible is what our God does. Say it again impossible is what our God does. Everybody say it with me. Impossible is what our God does. Thank you for listening to this message. Our goal is to reach people all over the globe with the good news of God's word. If you would like to partner with us by making a donation, visit our website at journey-church.com. That's journey-church.com on a PC or laptop and simply click on the donate tab on our homepage. By partnering with us, you will help us reach the world for the cause of Christ. Allow me to pray for you. Lord, I pray you bless those who have heard your word today. May you also bless their family and those whom you place in their paths. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.